Welcome to So Damn Curious, the podcast where curiosity leads the conversation. I'm your host, Dave Moss, a lifelong learner, explorer, and seeker of the stories that shape us. On each episode, I interview the innovators, the dreamers, and the creators from all corners of my ever-expanding world, and together we uncover the curiosities that have crafted their journeys, the questions that propel them forward, and the discoveries that define their paths. So whether you're here to find inspiration, ignite your own curiosity, or simply enjoy stories of passion and perseverance, you're in the right place. Let's dive into the minds of those who dare to ask, what if, and why not? and see where their curiosity has led them. Get ready to be inspired, to challenge your own boundaries, and to see the world through a lens of endless curiosity. My subject of curiosity today is Jennifer Moher, an incredible creative force, a motivator, an inspiration, a photographer, educator, and public speaker. Jennifer has seemingly done it all. Started a musical, spoke on stages all around the world, built a rabid following of fans for her photography and educational businesses, and did all of that while being a mom of three. She's now on her own journey into spirituality, mindfulness, and personal growth, and we both decided to start podcasting at the same time, and I implore you to go over and join her on her podcast, The Wonderist. I'll throw the link in the show notes. Jennifer has always been one of those people who has excited and baffled me. She just goes after what she wants, and at least from the outside looking in, tends to get it. We talk about her journey through life as a performer, as a creative, and how when she sets her mind to something, she just seemingly achieves it. Jennifer is one of the most singular women I have ever met, and I don't doubt you'll have as much fun listening to our conversation as I had being a part of it. So why don't I stop talking so that you can get to the good stuff in my incredible conversation with Jennifer Moher. Jen, thank you so much uh, for being here and hanging out with me today. Uh, Every time I've had a conversation with you over the last, God, I don't know, what has it been, like nine years or something, it has always been so interesting. Every time I see you speak on stage, I'm always blown away. Uh, And recently, I was listening to the first episode of your new podcast, The Wonderist, and something jumped out at me immediately where I feel like I want I want you to talk about this because I feel like it just felt so viscerally true to me. And it's those two girls in the audience and like what they (laughs) represent. So for anybody who's already listened to your podcast, they probably heard the story. But for those who haven't, like, would you mind giving like a Coles Notes version and then talk about like what that meant to you? Oh man. Okay. (laughs) This is great. I'm super excited about this. Likewise, like what is it? 10 years. This is amazing. I'm so happy. I'm actually like very honored too, because you know how like you usually get in your own head and you're like, I have nothing interesting to say, especially when you run your own podcast, you're you're interviewing other people and asking other people about their lives. So when someone actually wants to know about yours, it's like, what? You want to know my stories? <laughs> um, so yeah, okay. So the two girls in the front row, basically, uh, you remember elementary school speeches. It's like the bane of most people's existence. <laughs> like kids get terrified. And it's only a three to five minute speech that you have to give in front of your class. And I had this, like I was already a bit of an outcast in elementary school. I really didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't quite fit in. And when I did, it was just really awkward and uncomfortable. And so I just, every year with speeches, 
I didn't care to fit in. So I would, I would choose these crazy topics. Like one year I did Nostradamus and all of his predictions in like grade six, like what 12 year old does that? Other kids are talking about like, I hate my brother. And I'm like, Nostradamus predicted this. (laughs) And, uh, grade eight, I did aliens and I, I reenacted what it would be like to be decided to do my speech with the help of my mom on the first female doctor in Canada. And I believe it was Canada and England now that I've gone back and researched, but essentially she had disguised herself as a man for the majority of her life in order to go to school, um, get her education, practice, uh, medicine. And so I did this speech and my mom was like, you know what? You should get a, an old vintage jacket. You should wear a mustache. Like you should disguise as a man for the speech. And then at the end, you should rip off your mustache. And it was the coolest speech ever. Like I was so proud of it. I was so happy. So I got to go on in front of my class. I, I won for the classroom. I got to go on and do it in front of the school, which was a huge honor. And I won for that. And then I got to go to the Legion, which like when you're 12, it's a huge honor to be able to go and speak in front of I don't know, maybe like a hundred people in this, in this building. So I go up, I'm so confident. I've got my cool jacket. I've got my mustache and I'm about to get on stage. And as I'm walking up, I notice these two girls in the front row and they are visibly cool girls. You you know, the type, right? Like mm-hmm. they had like, I don't know, like cool Oshbagosh overalls and like chokers. <laughs> like they just looked really cool. And I was like, oh man, like instantly I felt really intimidated. And so I get up, I start doing my speech and I start fumbling because I'm focused on them. They're, they're right in the front row and there's hundreds of people sitting behind them, but I'm so focused on these two girls. I can see them nudging, elbowing each other, whispering. And I ended up just completely blowing the speech entirely. Like it was terrible. I did a terrible job. I fumbled. I had to keep looking at my cue cards, which you lose points for. And it was, it was such a, pivotal moment. Like I don't remember many things from that age, but Mm. that's something that I remember. And I've kind of taken that with me and it comes up like multiple times in my life where I'm like, okay, Jen, like don't focus on the two girls. There's a hundred people behind them that are so interested in this topic and this speech and they want to hear you talk, stop focusing on them. So it's become almost like a practice in my life where I'm reminded of them and I'm, I'm actually grateful for them in, in many ways. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's such, it's such a common thing. And especially I find for creatives to get hung up on the proverbial two girls, right? Like even, even me, when I was coming up with the concept for this podcast, everything I have done in my life has had to have an audience, right? Mm. Like it has to have a purpose. It has to, You know, it wasn't a hobby. It was a side hustle kind of thing. And as Mm -hmm. I was coming up with this concept, I was like, but who's it for? Mm -hmm. And thankfully, uh, I mean, everybody who knows me knows this. Thankfully, some good mushrooms. Uh, (laughs) I realized it didn't need to have an audience, right? Like it was that sort of thing of like, you're doing this because you're interested and you're curious and you're passionate. Mm-hmm. let that be enough and let that be the driving force. And if other people are interested and curious and passionate, then that's that's good enough. But yeah. I think it's why whenever I've gone to uh, photo conferences, whenever my friends are speaking, I always want to be in the front row. So it's like worst case scenario, they have someone to focus on yeah. who is just in it. 
who's just yeah. there and stoked. I totally agree. And what's so funny about you even saying that is that you were the person dead center front row for my very first photography conference. That actually makes me want to cry. Just even realizing that this is such a full circle moment because I remember being so nervous and having that same anxiety that I had when I was 12, getting up onto that stage. Where, where were we? Portland? Portland. Yeah. 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 And it was like an audience of like three or 400 photographers who were all like really, really good, like high caliber. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I remember even one photographer who was a speaker was like, I'm sorry, who are you? And I was like, oh God, I don't belong here. Which is fine. Like I didn't expect anyone to even know me. But yeah, I remember getting up on the stage and looking out and seeing your like huge smile in the front row and just what a difference in feeling, you know, seeing you there. I I don't think I took my eyes off of you like the entire time. It was great. It was so comforting. But but yeah, the, it, you're right. It's like those those girls, those metaphoric girls, they're going to leave eventually. If you keep talking, that like they're only there to kind of <laughs> heckle you for the first two seconds and then they leave yeah. because they realize the content isn't for them. So, it's it's definitely been a lesson for sure. Is is that like reliving that moment is that what drove you to you know be in chicago step up on a stage for the first time for for uh education like is is it that is is that part of the driving force that because i mean i Mm. see you on stage and you're such a great show person and like you just like you command a presence and it just feels like you were born up there but obviously (laughs) you know it's highlights and, and behind the scenes but like is there a part of that where you're almost doing it in spite of them? That's a really good question. I've I've never even meditated on that. But I mean, it could be like subconsciously, there could be something there. But from a very, very young age, like I remember my brother and I, we'd be like eight, seven or eight, and we were doing musicals. Like we were writing our own musicals and performing them in our basement for our parents. Like we would get, we would get bed sheets and we would hang them from, um, it was like a drop, you know, the drop ceilings, like oh, the yeah. old, yeah. So we would like push the, that weird drop ceiling stuff up and like tuck bed sheets in. So they were our curtains and we would bring two lawn chairs in for my parents to sit on and perform these numbers. I think I've always just enjoyed the art of performance. Um, and I never really had it other than just at home as a kid, I was never in involved in theater. It wasn't until I was a bit older and even, you you know, looking back also, it's funny. I'm just like, all of these memories are flooding back. This is so nostalgic, but because I was an outcast in elementary school, it was almost like I had nothing to lose by putting myself out there and being vulnerable because I already didn't really have friends. So it was like, well, might as well just do what I want to do. And I mean, I sang at our graduation. Um, I was in like a couple musicals in elementary school, but I never had that, that fear. The only time was with those, those two girls. And I don't know, I don't know why that was so like why that affected me so much. I think it was because I felt like I maybe had stepped up into this, this like new height, like where it was like, wow, like I'm actually being honored now for this, this little speech. And then it kind of was like almost a blow. Like it brought me back down. Maybe, I don't know. 
who knows, man? I, wonder, I wonder, you know, in, 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 a, in an alternate universe, like, had you nailed that speech, would you ever have remembered those two girls in their amazing overalls and chokers? Probably not. No. Yeah. No. But I mean, even to, even today, like, there's, and I don't know if, if you're the same way, but like, I, I usually project that fear. Um, and it's, it's just based in my own nervous system, but I will walk into certain situations and I instantly assess people and I'm like, Oh, they're way cooler than me. Like, Oh, I, I don't, I, I shouldn't talk. I shouldn't say anything cause they're way cooler than me. Like it's, it never really leaves you. Right. No. You just have no. to kind of fight against it, I suppose. Yeah. Like it's, it's that, that it's sort of like, I was listening to a psychologist speak recently and he was talking about imposter syndrome and he's like, everybody who's not a narcissist has it. Like everybody feels that everybody feels like they're out of place. And like, you're talking about elementary school and junior high and doing all of these things where it's like, I'm already an outcast. So I may as well do whatever you want. I did the exact opposite, right? Like I'm like, I'm an outcast. I don't want anybody to see me and Mm. just like closed in. And I feel like that's also like people tend to go one of two ways, right? They're either do it just because, you know, what is the the phrase like wave your freak flag or what? let your freak flag fly. And totally. then like there's other people who are just like, no, I can't like I, I can't be seen because if they see the true me, then they'll judge me or whatever. And so it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I thought about that about you the first time. Like I'm like, oh, she's too cool. Like she's not going <laughs> to want to hang out with me. Then you got to know me. Oh, I got man. to know you and you were just so real and so transparent and so vulnerable. And I just really, really appreciated that because mm-hmm. um, I've, I've been really lucky that, you know, they, they always say don't meet your heroes. Um, but mm-hmm. a lot of the people over the years, like I've always been, Abby makes fun of me because I always love, you know, people, people who would be on the D list, you know, mm-hmm. like. I don't really look up to people who are on the A-list, but like a local news anchor, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) whatever. Like, I don't know why, but they've always been so kind and like not on a pedestal and everything else like that. And so it's like, that's sort of the, the energy that I bring to it now is just like, just be vulnerable, be open. Everybody's panicking. You know, everybody's a four-year-old inside. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a practice that I, I use regularly is picturing other people it's like a practice in compassion but picturing every single person in my life as like the four or five-year-old version of themselves like anytime I'm angry with someone I'm just like okay picture them as a four-year-old <laughs> it's fine like they're just a sad little child <laughs> and it's it's become such a great practice so I love that I love that you just said that that's that's great yeah yeah it's <laughs> It's, I picture myself like that sometimes too. Like when I, when I lose my shit, like we, um, constant learners, my wife and I, we just took a, uh, an online course from this guy named Terry real from the relational life Institute. It's like couples therapy. Um, cool. and one of the things he talks about is the wise adult versus the adaptive child. And it's mm-hmm. that concept of like, when you feel that child energy coming up, when you feel like, uh, you know, someone's blaming you for something mm-hmm. or you're just going to lash out like literally envision your wise adult stepping in front of them and protecting them from that moment. Yeah. And so it's like, I, I do the same thing with other people now. It's like, if they're being shitty, it's like, it's not them. Yeah. You know, that's their trauma or that's their, you know, their scared self or whatever. And it's, yeah. it's, it's okay. And it's like having that practice is, has been oh, really man. helpful. I, I totally agree. There's been so much inner child healing and work that I've been doing over the past little while. I mean, I feel like the past, four years have been, I, I think I've tried like almost every different modality of 
healing and self-exploration um, that exists apart from like ayahuasca. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, that'll come. Which, yeah. <laughs> well, what, what what drove you down that that road, if you don't mind talking about it? Like why why this journey now? Yeah, I mean, I think a big a big part of it was uh, quitting alcohol. I think that kind of started everything and put things into motion. So when I stopped drinking, I should preface by saying I I didn't have like an obvious drinking problem. I think when people hear like, oh, she's sober, they instantly think like, oh, she must have been just like wasted all the time, passing out in ditches. But it wasn't that. Um, I just started to notice, A, that I didn't like the person that I was when I was drinking. Mm. Um, Even if it was just a couple glasses of wine, I just didn't enjoy who I was like energetically, it felt like I wasn't myself. Um, and then I realized that there was a dependency because I remember thinking like, okay, I'll just, I'll just stop drinking for like a month. And I, I found like, I couldn't really do that. Mm -hmm. And so that was a a big red flag. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it for a year. Like I'll do a full year, no drinking. And that was four and a half years ago. And I haven't had anything since. So it was knowing that I think whenever you put that, that timeframe on it, on sobriety, like if you're like, okay, in a year, you're still in the, the alcoholic headspace Mm. by putting that timeframe on it. Cause it's like, okay, the treat at the end of this year is that you get to drink. (laughs) And so by just removing it entirely, that was, that that was actually how sobriety became really, really easy. Um, but through that process, it was like there was almost like an energetic clearing, um, like a, a brain fog disappeared, a cloudiness. Energetically, things became a lot lighter. They didn't feel as heavy. I didn't feel weighed down. I used to struggle with nighttime anxiety. Mm. So I would lay up in bed at night and I would just spiral thinking about every possible thing I could think about (laughs) as I'm sure like you would understand. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And like, I could feel my body would start overheating and like, it was like a physical reaction to the, to the stress and my nervous system was just very unbalanced. So that kind of started to dissipate as well. And I just got really into the transformation part of that I just thought like, okay, what else can I do to improve my life, to improve my brain, my nervous system? Um, yeah. So I, I started different things like going to, um, see a Reiki practitioner. I started talk therapy. Um, oh my God, mushrooms, (laughs) just like all the different, different things I've spoken to, um, a healer, a Balinese, uh, healer and medium, I've seen psychics, I've like done all the things, acupuncture, like just everything I could possibly do to just test things out and see what, what things worked best. And yeah, a lot of inner child work now through meditation and yoga. So it's been a journey. (laughs) That, yeah. I mean, was part of that, because oftentimes when you hear people, especially if they're seeing mediums or seeing energy workers or seeing things like that, it's like. Uh, it's a spiritual journey, not just a growth journey. Has has part of this for you been getting in touch with a, a sense of personal spirituality as well? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was raised Catholic and, um, like kind of like blindly raised Catholic where you just, you're thrown into the Catholic school system and you go to church for, you know, Christmas and Easter and the odd Sunday, (laughs) but you don't really know why or, you know, what, what the purpose is. And so when I was a little bit older around like 18, 19, I just stopped going because church was boring. And, you know, then when I got a little bit older, I was like, mm, okay, I'm forming my own opinions about organized religion and, and different things around that. And I think there was a, a gap in like maybe from the age of 25 to 35, where I just felt almost like I wasn't grounded to anything because I didn't, mm. I no longer had that sort of religion. Um, I don't know if that was like atheism or, or where I was as far as like spirituality is concerned, but I felt very untethered to myself, to the universe. And so I think, yeah, that part of like doing that inner reflective work, um, quieting the noise was a way to sort of tether myself back to myself, if that makes sense. Does that sound very uh, flighty? No, I mean, I think I think for a lot of people who either grew up religious or without it, you know, who who go through that journey, whether it's in their 20s or 30s or 40s, it is that sort of like, like I was, I, I grew up going to church until I was six years old and we stopped mm-hmm. going because my sisters would fight every time we got home from church. And my parents <laughs> were just like, nope. And so we had the absence of of religion aside from Christmas mm-hmm. Eve. We, my, my grandmother was still very religious and she always went to Christmas Eve service. And so we would always go mm-hmm. and like that was my touch point to any type of spirituality. And then, you know, angry atheist through my like late teens, early twenties, because I saw so many friends who had left the church and how it had impacted their life. And, and then in my thirties, it was like, I, now I just, I feel like I'm not a part of anything. And so you're Mm -hmm. looking for that sort of, like you said, like that groundedness or that, that we want, I think as, as, as human beings, we are inherently spiritual beings in one way or the other. And we just want to be a part of something, whether yeah. it's a community or the universe or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, even just the past um, six months or so, I've I've found that there's been such a expansiveness and an opening every single time I go into the yoga studio that I practice at and I get on the mat it's like I call it like the Elizabeth Gilbert uh situation where you know how she talks about the ideas kind of coming to you and if you don't Mm -hmm. grab them they go and find someone else and so I've been having these like more and more and more lately when I'm in that space on the mat and connected to myself and, and that's where the podcast name came from that I started. And even just like the the intention behind it, like it just kind of, it's like you've received these downloads. And I know it sounds so bizarre, like to anyone who isn't open to this, it sounds like we're talking crazy talk. But- and I used to think it was crazy mm-hmm. talk because like two two weeks before Abby and I got married, she went and did ayahuasca. And before Mm -hmm. that, she was an atheist and trying to find her place in the world. And she had latched onto veganism at that point in time and everything. And she came home and she was talking about all this different stuff and energy and all the rest of this. And for years, I'm just like, okay, sure. (laughs) You know, that was my reaction to to all of it. 
And then like we started distancing because this was becoming super, super important to her. And I was just, you know, I planted my feet. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is who I am. There's nothing else out there. Like I had just made this decision. Yeah. And she kept saying, be, you know, be more open-minded. And I'm like, but I am open-minded. You know, it's like that, like, yeah. I didn't even, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I'm like, okay, well, I think I have to go and do ayahuasca. Like, that was my thought. Like, not like, go to th- get some therapy or anything. Yeah. It's like, no, I have to go right off the deep end and do this thing and 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 be prepared to lose myself. Because mm. that's what I felt like had happened to Abby. Like, she came back a different person. Mm. And so I had to, it took two and a half years for me to get up the courage to be prepared to be a different person. Yeah. And I went and did it. And Abby said one of the happiest moments of her life was the morning after my first ayahuasca ceremony. I just sent her a text message from Columbia that just said, I get it now. Wow. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It was just, it was just opening to that. Like, what if, you know, Mm -hmm. what if this is true or what if there's just more or what if I can just be open, you know? It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's not. It's not no. a bad process. And but like I had to just I had to lose my mind to get there, kind of in a way. And yeah, I think a lot of people have an easier path with it, mm-hmm. but a lot of people have a hard path with spirituality, and they, yeah. you know, they spend their whole lives being angry at it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're so right though about the what if, like just just being open, even even when certain things happen. Um, shifting your mindset to viewing them as signs from the universe rather than just like being the molder instead of the scully. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. As an X-Files reference. Yeah. Just being open to that. And it's the, the, I want to believe kind of mentality of like, I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm just going to lean into it and Mm -hmm. open myself up to it. And even I, I spoke to a medium uh, a couple days ago, actually, or maybe it was last week. And it was, it was incredible. I, I made a post about it on Instagram, but he spoke about, so, I mean, a, a lot of the things that he said were just like, even if he had looked up my name, he was like an 80 year old man, but even if he had looked up my name and had access to the internet, which I don't think he does, he wouldn't have been able to find these details about me. Like they were so intimately mine that, and they were unique as well. You know, a lot of people will challenge you and say, oh, well, you know, anyone could be experiencing that. So if a medium tells you this, that's just whatever. But, um, he spoke about my, my grandma and my papa who I know are with me. Like I just, I know every time I go to Reiki, every time I like have these, these medium encounters, they always reference these two people and like to a T to details. And so that's how the session began. And from that point on, I was like, all right, you've got me. <laughs> I will believe anything you say. And he spoke about how, you know, he's like, you really need to be doing something in the realm of photography. Like, I see you doing something in the realm of photography and educating others within the realm of photography. And I was just like, did you Google me? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but the guy is so, like, he's so old. They they use a landline. I mean, like, <laughs> they don't even have cell phones. I don't know. It just, I don't think he was, he was faking it. But yeah, uh, just stuff about past lives as well. Past lives between my partner and I. And <clears throat> certain parts of the past lives that make so much sense. Mm. Um, as far as my own fears that I have in this current life, I have this fear 
I, I hope you don't mind me sharing the, <laughs> one no, of these past no, life stories. No. My wife okay, talks cool. about past lives all the time. She went to it. her therapist last week and she's like, yeah. can we talk about a past life thing? The therapist is like, why not? So yes. yeah, this is totally not uncomfortable. Yeah. So he basically told me that Dustin and I were married in a past life and that Dustin went away to war in this past life and never came home. And I have this irrational fear every time he goes anywhere that's out of town. If he's driving two hours out of town, I get really irrational anxiety that he's not going to make it home. Mm. And I've never felt this with any other partners in my life. I don't feel it with any other humans. I only feel it with him. And it's, I've always been curious as to why I feel that anxiety. Cause I'm like, Jen, you're like, you're being crazy. Like nothing's good. Everything is fine. (laughs) Don't worry. But that almost answered that in a way. I was like, wow, what if, what if that's true? And and that's where that fear is, is coming from. So yeah, there was stuff like that. He said that I was a writer in my past life, my most recent past life. I was a writer and that my purpose here is to just share words. So I'm like. (laughs) cool it all balances so out yeah. yeah yeah and it is that what if thing that that's that really sort of brought me around to the other side of it because like even if it's not true what if it helps that person what if it Absolutely. makes their life easier what if it starts them on their road to healing or recovery or whatever or anything mm-hmm. else like that like i just sure there are psychics and mediums out there and things like that who who just are out to get a buck you know mm-hmm. and and that sucks but that's true of every industry yeah yeah absolutely and, yeah so yeah no i totally agree and i mean if it brings you a sense of peace and a sense of calm then it's not hurting anyone you yeah. know yeah the, yeah there was a lot that was said that's been said through multiple mediums that i've spoken with that have just been so affirming and calming mm-hmm. where it just feels like i'm i'm a completely different person today than prior to experiencing these humans. Yeah. That's, it's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, really that's, that's something that I've, I've realized over the last few years is that's what we're all trying to get to. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just like understanding calm peace, Mm -hmm. you know, all, all the rest of this and who, who cares as long as it's not harming another person who cares how they get there, just let them have their peace. And, yeah. and that's like, that's been, that was a part of my ayahuasca growth is just letting mm. people have their peace and, you know, learning when to listen and when to shut up and, and, mm. and all the rest of that. It was just, it's been big. And that's why my, yeah. my practice has shifted away from, Hey, let's, you know, figure out your marketing and more <laughs> like, let's find you peace because yeah. that's going to make everything else so much easier when we yeah. figure out the motivation and the mindset and the, you know, why don't you value yourself? And that's why you're not charging enough money or <laughs> whatever, yeah. all of those things. Oh, Cause that's, absolutely. that's really the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I feel like we, we have been, you and I have been going on these same sort of parallel paths for years. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. And it, I love catching up with you because it seems like we're always just like, oh, you're here too? Cool. <laughs> like We're right beside each other. I love it. But there's, um, there's a retreat that my friend and I are planning at the moment. And that's the point of it. It's not, it's not about like, okay, here's all the SEO tactics. Here's, um, you know, how to beat the algorithm. Like none of that chaos but it's more about the holistic approach to 
the blend of calming your nervous system, tapping into who you are, opening yourself up, opening your heart and creating from that space. And just the idea that you can't create from a state of stress. It's just Mm. impossible. And so just blending those two worlds together um, in an, an educational setting, but for the nervous system, I'm so excited about it. Like I wish that this had existed five, 10 years ago, you know, I mean, I mean, how, how much further along would we be if, if, if we were around 10 years ago for ourselves and, and, and that's yeah. always the piece that I look at, you know, the, the talk I gave at true North when we were together mm-hmm. last and stuff like that is like, it was all based around what would have made my life easier 10 years ago when I was starting mm-hmm. out this five years ago, you know, whatever. And, uh, I was listening to a podcast with a guy named Jim Quick uh, recently, and he's he calls himself the brain coach. And, mm-hmm. and that's he talks about there's these three things that we need to move forward in life. It's it's mindset, motivation and methodology, the three M's, he calls mm-hmm. it. Um, and he's like, the method is often the easiest piece. You know, there's a million YouTube videos out there. There's a million courses. There's a million whatever to learn yeah. the method of how to do something. But if you don't have the other two things, you'll never do it. Yeah. And I remember just like here, I was just out walking the dogs listening to this podcast. And I just had to like stop because like it was finally <laughs> the thing that clicked because I don't, yeah. the method is important, but it's not the stuff that lights me up, you know? Yeah. And that's the stuff that I had been teaching for the last five years was method, yeah. method, method, method. Like even my online course was called All Method, No Madness. No. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like who knew? But it, I, it so always funny. felt hollow. And yeah. so it's like when I heard that and I had already been like shifting my practice, but like not I didn't believe in it. You know, I was like yeah. scaring myself of like, I really want to go into the mindset and the value and the vulnerability and everything. Mm-hmm. But do people need that? And when he said that, I was like, OK, good. Thank you, yeah. universe. You know, like you put this in front of me. Absolutely. Isn't it just so... Oh, it's like magical when you get that permission, like when you get that Mm. external permission, whether it's from a person or a podcast or even just your own thought, it's just like everything just expands and you just blow up and it's like, all right, here we go. There's, there's no turning back at that point. Right? No. Well, and this ties into something that you had made a post, I think it was yesterday, um, about taking up space. Yeah. And that, that, by the way, gave Abby a little permission uh, for mm. something that she wanted to do, take up some space. But it's also something like primarily my client base um, are women. Mm-hmm. And I always want them to take up more space because I see that being, it's like, oh, you, you would have the success that you want mm-hmm. if you just took up space. And I always joke to them, you know, have the confidence of a mediocre white man. Um, <laughs> it's but, true. Can you talk a little bit about taking up space and what that means and yeah. and maybe something, you know, things that have worked for you in that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's so fitting because I'm I'm literally in the process of writing this presentation which is about that. So, this is great. It's very much in the forefront of my mind. But um yeah, the reason why I even came up with this was I was thinking about, okay, I'm going to this this big conference, I'm going to speak in front of a big audience. And so I was reminiscing and thinking back to the first conference that I attended. And it was about 10 years ago. It was the Canada Photo Convention in Vancouver. And I remember sitting in the audience and watching uh, Jonas Peterson and who else was there? Maybe like Sam Hurd. Like it was, you know, the, the, 
the big names of yeah. 20. And I was, I was so awestruck. Like I just was like, wow, it's Jonas Peterson. And I remember having a conversation with him and being like, Jonas Peterson just talked to me. Like I was just, it's so funny, but thinking back and, and looking at that, when I think about my work, it, it's not like my work is any different today than it was back then. Like the mm. skills, the foundations are all kind of still the same. It's the mindset that is completely shifted and the taking up space. And so that's kind of what I wanted to create a talk around was that, yes, the foundation is important. And, you know, but most people who are attending these big conferences, they've been in it for five, six years at the, the time of attending. And so their foundation is already solid. They've they've got that. It's just they need the permission and and the the mindset shift. So um, one of the things that I talk about a lot, and I've been saying this for years, I used to always say, oh, okay, like I need to celebritize myself. And it sounds it sounds shallow, and it sounds very Kardashian of me, and it's not. It's not meant to be. Um, but it's it's an energetic sort of mindset practice of taking up space where it's like celebritizing yourself isn't about like vanity. It's not about um, arrogance. It's just about putting yourself out there in a way that like might even feel a little bit cringy in the moment where you're like, oh God, I'm doing this. I'm going to make a promo video of myself. But that's, that's the act of celebritization, right? It's like you, you go and get professional headshots taken and, and you look impressive and, you know, like professional, and then you spend money on getting a nice website. Like those are the basic celebritizing, you know, even the energy you put into writing your bio, you know, it's like, are you playing it small? Are you like, Oh, I really like taking photos. Or are you, are you kind of taking up a little bit more space in that sense? Right? Like talking about your accomplishments, your achievements, it's okay to celebritize yourself in that way. And then the idea of celebrity energy, And this is something that has become a little bit more popular with TikTok lately. A lot of people take on this celebrity energy, but it's just, um, it's honestly, it's a mindset and it's an openness. And there's a reference that I heard someone speak about, about going to the gym. And as a woman going to the gym, you experience lots of different things as a woman in a gym. Uh, and it, and a lot of it has to do with the energy that you're putting out there. So she was talking about walking in with like Beyonce energy versus walking in with like very closed off energy versus walking in with say Kardashian energy. So the, the difference being the Kardashian energy is like, come talk to me, come look at me. Like I'm here to chat with you, like just very on. And you could, you could reference this with, with even like if you're single and you're putting your energy out there, it's like you are going to either attract or repel or intimidate with this energy. And so it's just a a playful way of, of practicing this. So sometimes I do it in the grocery store and I'll switch on and be like, okay, which energy am I going to radiate in this moment? Um, and so sometimes it's the, like, look at me, but don't talk to me energy. (laughs) This sounds absurd. I know, but it's a good practice. I'm loving this. I'm drinking this in. Keep going. (laughs) Um, other times it's a, like, don't even look at me. I'm invisible energy, which I, I use a lot, especially in the grocery store. Or other times it's the really bubbly open, like Taylor Swift energy where it's just like, I'm here. Like who wants to have a chat? Like those bananas look ripe. How you doing? (laughs) You know, it's just like. 
I don't know. You can you can play between those energies and and practice putting them on and jumping into those energetic suits or outfits, right? Um, and I think the more you get into that, the more you can just embody it um, and switch it on when you need to, switch it off when you don't need to. And that's what celebrities do. You see celebrities go on talk shows. They're not being their true, authentic, naked selves. They're they're still playing a bit of a role, um, even though it's it's there is an authenticity to it as well. So, yeah, I don't know that that's that's one massive element to it for sure. <laughs> so, so, what would you say to somebody, uh, hypothetically named Dave, who's uh, <laughs> who's bad at, at at this, right? Because like I've known this as uh, I've been coaching now for five years. And I love it. You know, I always mm-hmm. say if my calendar was filled every day with three to four calls, I would just be the happiest person. Mm-hmm. But I don't like taking up space. I've yeah. never wanted to be. I always found it a little and maybe this is my own stuff that I need to talk to my therapist about. But I always found it a little like cringy and inauthentic when you see people out there who are coaches, educators, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have this persona of authority mm-hmm. without the vulnerability yeah. so it's like you're only getting the like i know everything energy and i've always mm-hmm. just like just like i don't like you know alpha dude energy or whatever yeah. like i've always i've always disliked that if and, and and i know there's a lot of photographers out there who like i see these things to them and uh, you know i'm not practicing what i preach and mm-hmm. what i often hear back you know what if my achievements are too small or what if you know this or what if that like what what was that practice like or what would you say to somebody who needs to step into that energy a little yeah. bit? Yeah. I mean, okay, first of all, like going back to what you said about the 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 men that you see on say like TikTok or, you know, just giving this advice. It's like it's not like you're actually sitting and watching every single video that they create. You scan by it, it's not for you, so you swipe. And so just understanding that that's what's going to happen if someone doesn't like what you're putting out there, they're just going to swipe past it. And the people who do like it, because if you go to these men and read their comments, there's a lot of people that are just eating it up. Yeah. And not that that's a good thing, but (laughs) the people who are meant for you will find you and the people who are not meant for you will leave. And that's such a, I mean, that's such a basic concept. I mean, you, you know that, and I know Mm -hmm. that you teach that. Um, I mean, that's one element is just getting past that getting past the two girls in the front row, because that's the concern is like, what will people think of me? Am I just being self-indulgent? Am I looking arrogant? You know, and all of those thoughts came into my head when I started the, the wondrous podcast, I was like, is this just self-indulgent? Like, is this just like me getting on a a platform and, and speaking? Um, and I, I think it's okay to question those things. Like, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that just makes you even more beautiful and authentic because you're, you know, you are a bit worried about that. So owning that I think is a, is another element to it. But I mean, trusting, like when people tell you that they like what you're doing and what you're saying and the actions you're taking, just believing it and just carrying on. And also the fact that like life is just a big, like this is just one big, like beautiful experience and at the end of the day, who cares? Like if it all fails, you know, you move on to something else. I don't know. It's like, it's all just a, a bit of a game and just a fun, playful experience. So why not just take up a bit more space? 
you know, if, if people are wanting it, then why, why wouldn't you, you know, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's always been my, my mindset with all of it. Yeah. I, and I think that's a really, really healthy mindset too, mm. because, you know, I always say to my clients, like the only unique thing about your business is you. And so mm-hmm. if you don't show up, what yeah. else, you know, it's just on the yeah. photos or it's just on the dress designs or it's just on the graphic design or it's just on the, you know, DJ website that you have or whatever. Mm-hmm. If your presence is not on there, then, then what's the point? Yeah. So take up Absolutely. the space, have some yeah. fun with it. And I think people get stuck in the like, okay, but how? Like it's, it's all well yeah. and fine to, to be like, oh, take up space. But like, what does that, what does that actually look like tangibly? Like what, what are the things, what, what is something you could do right this second to take up space? And so I was actually talking to Dustin about this because Dustin is, he does not want to take up space. Like he's very, he's the, one of the most talented men I've ever met in my life. Like he's just so beautiful inside and out. He can build anything like he's he's such a man <laughs> like I'm just like oh my god <laughs> like <whew>. um <laughs> but he's so he's so humble about it he won't talk about any of his achievements he won't talk about the fact that he you know he went to Emily Carr and practiced art at Emily Carr and he's been doing art painting pottery for the past 20 years of his life he doesn't put that out there. Um, and he, he plays it small. So now that we've got this pottery shop and he's, he's got his studio and he's making his pottery. I was chatting with him last night and he's like, okay, but like, okay, so what do I do? Like, I I don't want to, I don't want to be like one of those guys who's just like showing off. (laughs) And that's always the fear, right? The self-indulgence. Um, so one of the, the tangible things I said to him was like, I mean, there's so many people that are watching his videos watching him create and probably have questions because he is an expert in his field, whether he believes it or not, he is an expert. And there's always people who are uh, less skilled than him that are looking up to him saying like, I wonder how you do that. So even just posting a video as he typically does and just putting one of those like stickers on Instagram that says, ask me anything, just that it's like such a simple thing, but just that is one little way that you can just take up a bit of space and have step into that sort of celebritization without it feeling Kardashian, you know, it's just like, Hey, like I have some knowledge. Do you want to know anything? You're, you're serving people in that sense. It's, it's not self-indulgent. So that's, that's one thing that I think anyone could do. Yeah. But what if, okay, so I'm, (laughs) I'm just going to play, I'm just going to play my own devil's advocate here because this thought popped into my head. What if nobody asks anything? You ask yourself. Just type it in. No one will know. I mean, you have to... How do you think the Kardashians became famous? Like, it's not like people were all of a sudden just like, oh my God, they're amazing. Like, they had to put in that that back-end effort. Yeah. Um, they were like nobody socialites who just, you know, became who they are, but they had to do that work. And yeah. so you're still providing knowledge. You're still serving if you can't, if no one's going to ask you anything, no one's going to know if you type in your own question. Man, I've done it so many times when I'm trying to sell, say a workshop or, you know, whatever it is, presets or anything. 
I'll say, ask me questions about this. And I'll type in the directed questions that I want people to know the answer to. I'll just throw them in there and be like, all right, if no one's going to ask the right question, I will. And And then it creates momentum. Absolutely. And nobody knows the difference. And they're still getting, they're still receiving information. You're still serving. No one has to know the the behind the scenes. I mean, they do now. But But I think we all know it though, right? Like it's it's one of those things where of course, of course that's happening. And of course that's happening. And it's, it's just a matter of kind of getting over yourself, right? Like we all know that, that marketing is performative. Like Mm -hmm. nobody out there is marketing for altruism, except for maybe like Greenpeace, I don't know, but yeah. but for the most part, it is. We're all trying to to sell something. We're trying to connect in a way, and everything else like that. And so it's just like just get over the fact that it's performative and yeah. perform because I see that so much with yeah. with people that I work with, creatives that I work with, where they're like, well. I don't want to, uh, I'm uncomfortable that it would if nobody responds or what if that I'm like, yeah, but what if somebody does like, mm-hmm. what if you really impact somebody and find a way to do it? That's like less icky, you know, yeah. ease yourself into it. It's like getting into a hot tub. Like you can start with just your feet mm-hmm. and then go from there and, and ease your way into it. But yeah, it's such totally. an interesting process. Yeah, it is. And, and the, the, the cringy sort of like concept, that's just, it's coming from a place of judgment. It's coming from a place of self-judgment. And when we judge others for being cringy, it's just our own self-judgment. It's like oh, this, yeah. like, Ooh, I wouldn't do that. It's like, okay, well, so this person is, and they're probably making bank, you know, like <laughs> just do it. Who cares? Yeah. I've done, like, I, I did a promo video back in like, oh man, I don't even know, like 2012. It's the cringiest promo video I've like, I, I'm going to send it to you. I don't know if you can like throw it in. The, if this is going to oh, be a yeah, video, absolutely. throw it in. Absolutely. I don't care. It's so bad. But the whole thing was like, I wanted to, I, I was celebritizing myself even back then, 2011, 2012. And so I think the opening, it's got like this music that I got off of music bed and it's though text says, you are about to see an engagement session bye. And then my logo comes up, Jennifer Moher. Like, it's just so cringe. And then it's like me and I'm high-fiving my assistant. Like, it's so cheesy. But then at the end, it's like, you know, the logo comes up again. And it's just this like very commercial, magical thing. I booked so, I booked 64 weddings that year. Like, it works. It doesn't matter. Like, why not? Yeah. I, I would rather yeah. do that. I would rather be super cringy and make a living and feed my family and, uh, you know, afford the lifestyle that I want than sitting back being really cool and not doing any of the cringy things, but not making any money. Like, I, I don't know. That's just how I feel. <laughs> no, but I think that I think that's a, you you've nailed it 100 percent, because oftentimes the people who come to me and they're like, I need more clients, I need more work, mm-hmm. I need this, I need that. And I ask them, but what are you doing for it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a, a newsletter I send out once every three months. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not going to work. You have to put yourself out there. You have to sell and you don't yeah. have to it doesn't have to be a promo video or it doesn't have to be this or it doesn't have to be do, but it's like, you have to do it. Find a way, find the path of least resistance to really, really get yourself out there and something that, that works and then use that momentum and, and 
all else fails, steal like an artist. You know, yeah. if you see somebody else that's doing something that's that's working, take it, make it your own. Don't copy yeah. exactly like it is. If you do want to copy it, ask permission. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but whatever. But like if if you don't know how to do it, then there's a million models Absolutely. out there. But find the reason why you want to do it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of people too, and I think we've talked about this. Um they need to get clear on their values and understand mm-hmm. what those values are. Because I think there's a lot of people that enter industries like, like photography and they're just sort of like splashing around grabbing at, you know, Oh, well I need this and I need, I need to sell this and I need to make this and I need this much money, but no one really is, is grounded in knowing like why or what's the goal, where are we going? What direction are we headed in? They're just, it's, I just envision like a fish flopping around on dry land, like just like, I don't know, like it just feels very chaotic. And I think if you know the direction you're going, if you understand your values, it's so much easier. Everything else just kind of falls into place at that point, doesn't it? It's a concept of ready, fire, aim, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't do the aim part last. And uh, I always, I use this analogy with a lot of my clients. It's, it's like, you're standing there with all of this potential. You've got a bow drawn and you're Mm. just, you're holding it and your muscles are getting tight and your muscles are getting sore, but you don't know where you're going to put that arrow. And so you have to do that first. And it drives people crazy sometimes when they come to me and they're like, okay, I need more clients. And I'm like, okay, I want you to tell me what your, if everything goes right for the next five years, what's your perfect day in five years? And they're like, how is this relevant? And I'm like, it is the most relevant thing because it's a difference between, do you want to shoot you know, a hundred family sessions a year for a hundred dollars, or do you want to do 20 a year for $5,000? Like, what does your life look like? What do you want to do? What are your values? What matters? Who do you want to work with? The number of times I've had people come to with me, I don't want to work with wealthy people because they're all bad. And I'm like, well, Mm. that's a belief system that we need to completely change because that's not true. People Mm -hmm. People are good. There are assholes who are broken. There are assholes who are rich. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that and let's unwrap that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It it really does just simplify everything, doesn't it? Like it it takes it from this like feeling of like a vortex of like there's just so much going on to just like a straight path. Yeah. Yeah. It's but it was the it's the amazing. thing that we all fight. You yeah. know, like when for years I was like until I took my 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 coach training. I always just wanted to skip to the success. I'm mm. like, just just tell me, give me a spreadsheet or a flow chart or whatever. I will follow these steps and it will work. And it never did mm. because this all wasn't aligned, you know? Yeah. And you can, you can work yourself to death and get nowhere because you're mm. not, you know, you're just running in circles or whatever. And so yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to teach that this is the important step. Yeah, it's so true. And and sort of um similar but not, I, I was kind of in the same boat where I I was building up my skills and I was putting myself out there and like very boldly just like, here I am, world. But I was throwing myself into every single direction because I had mm-hmm. no idea of what my values were, where I needed to go. I was I was almost latching on to other people's value systems and other people's goals. So I would see, yeah, other people's goals and I'd be like, oh, okay, well, they want that. So I should want that because I'm in the same industry as them. And it wasn't until 
probably sobriety, probably four years ago where I was like, oh no, I actually just want like a really quiet life. I don't want to travel the world. I don't want to, like, I just want like, you know, 10 weddings a year. I want a very simple life in my lovely little home. I want a garden. I like it. I just want to like talk to people and help people. And that's, yeah, that's it. It just, it made everything so much easier. Everything fell into place at that point. Was was it a lightning strike or was it, was there a process that led you to that? It was a very slow process. It was, nothing in my life has ever really felt like a lightning strike. It's all been like, almost like a Rubik's cube where it's like slowly things are shifting. And then finally it's like, oh, there it is. <laughs> We're here. But no, it's, it's, it's been a very long, long process. And I, I think I've had to unlearn a lot of things as well, as far as life and goals. Um, growing up with my parents, they, and we've recently had this conversation, so they will be very okay with me sharing this, but (laughs) we grew up moving from house to house to house. And my parents would buy houses, renovate them, flip them. And then we'd buy something else and we'd make it better and then we'd sell it and then we'd move on to something else. And that was what I grew up with. At the age of 13, I had already lived in 13 houses. So I would see this process of starting from nothing, building something up, making it amazing. And then we offload it and we move on to the next project. And so, I mean, if I have ADHD, it's it's probably (laughs) partially due to that. Um, But I think I've had to, there was an element of sort of like, maybe not so much on my parents' part, but just what I viewed of the keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, okay, we're moving up with every house we flipped. It was like, we moved into something bigger and better, bigger and better. Every time it was like climbing a ladder essentially. And I fell into that years and years ago before sobriety. I was very much like, climbing that ladder and I was like okay I need to live in the west end of our of our town and this is the type of house I need to live in because that's what you're supposed to do at this age and I just had these weird beliefs around progress and what progress was I thought it was um more and you know profit and I I thought that was progress and I think it's different for everyone but what I very quickly realized was that that wasn't what I wanted. (laughs) So it was, uh, yeah, I went into a lot of debt figuring that out and yeah, switching houses. And now I'm, I'm in a place where it, it makes more sense now, which is great. Do you look back on that process of progress fondly? Was it, was it a, was it a, Obviously, the, probably the journey itself wasn't enjoyable, mm-hmm. but like one of the questions I love asking people is what's a favorite failure? Because I think mm. things happen for us. They don't happen to us. Is that a, is is there a regret in that or is it gratitude in that process? I think there's gratitude now. I think there was regret. Um, there was guilt. There was shame. Like there were a lot of feelings around like mistakes made as far as even just like financial mistakes, um, you know, like I moved out of this, this one house that we were in and it was this, the most beautiful century home. It was downtown. It was like the coolest place. We got it for so cheap. We got it for $297,000. 
back in, I don't even know what year this was, like 2016 maybe. And it was a five bedroom, hundred year old house. Like, are you kidding me? It was amazing, but the kitchen wasn't very big. And so I was like, no, we need to live in the West end. We need a big kitchen. We need two car garage. Like I just, all of the things that I thought that I needed because of my own upbringing. And so we offloaded this beautiful gem of a house to the suburbs to to shift to the suburbs. And it just, yeah, it just, that was one of the things where I was like, I should have never done that because now that house is worth like well over a million. <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. But yeah, there's, there's mistakes, but I see them all as, as learning lessons, everything, all of the negative things that have ever happened in my life is all just, I can see the lessons in all of it now. Um, and I, again, I think sobriety has been really beneficial in healing that and figuring that, that out. Um, and, and I think we are not the same person today as we were two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. It's like, I often wish that I could go back and like find people that used to be in my life and just be like, Hey, I'm not that person anymore. FYI, like I promise I'm different now. You know what I mean? Whether it's like exes or just old friends or acquaintances, business people, like anyone, I just, yeah. So letting go of those old versions or old iterations of ourselves is, is a weird process in itself, isn't it? It totally is. Uh, Abby and I actually have been talking a lot lately where we feel like we're on our second marriage now Mm. because we're not those people anymore because we've done the, we've really grown through it and everything. And just speaking it out loud allows mm. us so much forgiveness and so much growth, like and forward momentum. And and I think I think it's a really beautiful conversation. And I think mm. that more people need to be aware of. I think we all know that people change, mm. but we don't forgive mm. as easily, uh, especially mm. if someone we feel like someone wronged us or or anything yeah. else like that. It's like we just it's like they're they're gone, you know, they're yeah. out of my life. Toxic behavior, toxic person, or whatever. But then yeah. we give them no no ability to to reprove themselves. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, it's like there. What's the quote about? Um, you know, everyone has their own version of you inside of their head, mm-hmm. and it's different from who you actually are. It's like I think about that often. That used to keep me up at night because I was so consumed with what other people thought of me, and and now I'm that like, I don't care at all at this point. I'm just like, I am who I am. Like, sorry, you knew that version of me, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, they say, what is it in your twenties? You're so obsessed with other people, with, with how you want other people to see you in your thirties. Mm-hmm. You are starting to worry about how uh, you see yourself. And in the forties, you realize that no one ever saw you in the first place. And it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, like it's so true. Like we're all just so consumed with our own little bubbles and our own lives. Yeah. Are you, yeah. are you in your forties now? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I turned 42 this year. I'm an old man. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I'm, I just turned 39. So I'm, yeah, I'll, I'll be there in the, the zone of no one, no one cares about me. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's just like, it's, it's a real, it's giving no fucks is a yeah. real relief in life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that like people don't think of you, but it's just like, we think so much of ourselves and we're so yeah. much in our own journey. And, you know, that, that, that thing that you do where you lie awake at night and, and relive an embarrassing moment. I, I actually, I, I went to a, 
a coffee with a friend not too long ago. And I said, you know, I was thinking about this thing that happened and I was, I've been embarrassed about it for years. And they said to Aww. me, I don't even remember that. Yeah. And just the release of that. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's probably 90% of the things <laughs> in my life that I have obsessed over. Like totally. to them, it was nothing. Yeah. yeah. God, that's so true, isn't it? It's, that's such a great lesson. Just that in itself is, is amazing. It's funny having a, I have a 16 year old, almost 16 year old. And, and that's a big thing is like, like that is the all consuming thought is like, everyone's looking at me. Everyone's yeah. thinking about me. Everyone's looking at me. And so I think that's actually helped me kind of shift out of it. Cause I'm like, no, they're not like, I tell her that every day. So it's like, I'm indirectly telling myself but even even to the point of like when I drop her off at school I've got to drop her off like at a certain space the like there's like yeah. yeah like and she can't sit in the back seat because if she was seen getting out of the back seat of the car like that would be embarrassing if her younger sister was in the front seat like it's just all these weird rules that that as teenagers we make for ourselves so that's been fascinating just watching that it's it's I think it's been healing in a sense for myself because I'm just like, oh God, like, was I like that? <laughs> yeah. And of course you were. We all yeah. were. We, you know, totally. And, yeah. yeah. And then realizing how little that shit actually mattered. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I think taking that approach into our businesses now, you know, where it's like, who cares if you if you write I think everyone's really consumed with like writing the best caption or, you know, the best image and what's the best time to post. And it's like who cares? At the end of the day, like I, I don't want to succumb to a time frame of an algorithm. Like I'm just not going to, it, I usually post really impulsively. Like I'll be in the bath and I'll be like, Oh, here's a thought that I'm having. And I'll just write something and yep. find a photo in my camera roll and post it. A and it's extremely impulsive. It's not methodical. And I like it that way. Like I don't, and I'm not going to do the whole, like, Oh, you got to, You've got to be in the app for 30 minutes before you post and engage. And then you've got to post and then you have to spend 30 minutes after and you still have to engage it's like all these rules. I'm like, what? But you did that for a while, didn't you? Because I learned that from sure, you. Sure. <laughs> sure. I did. I did. I followed some of those rules for a while. I was in, I have like a point in my life that I call like the hustle um, mm. time frame where mm -hmm. yes, I hustled. And I fell victim to all of those things. But now I think having another child, because my youngest is almost three, that's really shifted things as well. Um, and maybe age, getting a little bit older where I'm like, I don't care anymore. Um, if, if people are going to find your art, they're going to find your art. If you're posting consistently, like that's the thing is like just post every day. Who cares what time it is? Who cares what you're saying? You don't have to live inside of an app. Um, just post your art, be, be good at it, you know, like improve your skills daily shoot. It's like all those things that are so simple. It's the foundations that people are kind of missing. You know, yeah. it's those, it's those, those base foundations of like, are you actually picking up your camera and, and shooting every day? Cause most people aren't They're They go to their weddings, they shoot and then they post images. They expect a whole bunch of responses and then they wait another two weeks and then they go to their next wedding, but they're not in the process of practicing and improving and growing and, and just doing it for fun and play. And I think when you're in that mode, that does create that 
stress and that aggravation of like, no one's seeing my post. I need to boost my engagement and just all the, the, the chaos of it. It's just so silly. I mean, it's an app and it could be gone tomorrow. We're yeah. putting so much of our energy into this. It's like, I don't know. It seems a bit silly. <laughs> it just all seems silly. But yeah, but I, I think people want to have that game because of fear. It's coming from a place of lack and a place of fear and not from mm. a, a place of creation. Like when I finally realized that I wasn't a photographer, the amount of relief that gave mm. me because I was a person who only picked up a camera when we went and shot a wedding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd go to all these conferences and I'd see all these people who, you know, like Gabe McClintock's got his new Leica and Ben and Aaron Chrisman are rounding around taking photos every day of everything and all of this. And these were the Mm -hmm. people that I was seeing succeed in that space. Yeah. And I'm like, but that's not like, I don't find joy in that. And then I found coaching and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm constantly researching, constantly learning, constantly helping people. And that's the, like, that's my picking up my camera every day is doing that. And then now I talk to, to photographers And, you know, I have this one past client and they were absolutely lovely and they didn't have a personal project. They beat themselves up all. It's like, I don't pick up my camera all the time. And I'm like, but you do because I've seen the photos you take of your family Mm -hmm. and I've seen the photos you take of your daily life. And they're like, oh, well, no one cares about seeing that. I'm like, you're a family photographer. You're literally doing what other people wish they could is having this documentation. So just just post that. What do I say? Don't say anything. Put emoji under it. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's just about finding joy in what you do and it not needing to be a thing. Who yeah. cares if it gets one like? Yeah. Be proud Absolutely. of it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I love that. That's such good advice. I wish that I had had that advice 10 years ago. Oh, me too. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because I think there was so much, the education world was all about the hustle and all mm-hmm. about the growth in that yeah. sense. Yeah, I think the 2010s, like that's going to be the legacy of that decade is mm-hmm. hustle culture and and, ha- yeah. and how exhausting it was. And in some ways, uh, I take this with a grain of salt, the pandemic was the best thing to happen to entrepreneurs Yeah, because it forced a lot of people to gain perspective very quickly. Yeah, it's so true. You know what? I, I always forget that when I'm speaking about like, oh, all these holistic experiences and, and whatnot. But I think you're absolutely right. That's such a huge factor that that goes o- overlooked, you know, mm-hmm. but it was so impactful. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, I, I think that was that was definitely where I realized that I didn't want to be photographing as many weddings. Like I wanted to be able to focus on, you know, 10 a year and really um, kind of pamper those clients and focus more on on just a, a smaller amount yeah that's yeah, amazing forced to yeah. take a breath and take stock like the number of photographers i know that went from 30 40 50 weddings a year yeah to 10 to 15 a year after that and they're now yeah. like oh my marriage is better my life is better everything else it's yeah. like yeah oh yeah 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 the amount of joy that i feel in my life like hourly minute like minute by minute like I just feel so abundant and joyful and it's like yeah that's it's just from curating based on exactly based on COVID and and reassessing everything that's so true that's so cool it's funny because I never I never thought that I'd want to spend my days just sitting in a storefront sitting in a shop (laughs) 
<laughs> and now I'm like, I love it. Like I sit in this little pottery shop and I'm like, oh, I'm so happy here. I'm so joyful here. Like it just, it brings me so much. It's so great. Yeah. yeah. Reconnect cool. with like what actually lights you up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, it's so hard to find. And it's, I mean, this, the, I feel like saying this all comes with the added sort of, I need to almost preface it by saying like, obviously I've been doing this for 15 years. So I've built up enough of a base where it's very easy for me to just get these 10 weddings that I want and charge what I want. And I know that that's not the case for everyone. Um, like I know that there, there has to be that work and that consistency and that push. I feel like it's almost like a privileged thing to say, to be like, Oh, I can just relax now. <laughs> like it, I'm very aware that there is work that has to go into getting to this, this point for sure. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be 15 years of work, you know, no, like with some of these not. lessons, if you, if you're asking yourself the right questions and you're thinking about things in the right way, mm -hmm. you know, that hustle period could be two years or three years. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to, you know, for us, it was 2019 when we finally turned the tap off conveniently yeah. right before the world shut down. You know, we had decided that was going to be our last year of doing, you know, 20 to 30 weddings in a year. We did wow. 29 uh sunrise engagement sessions that year like wow. we were it was we were full on yeah. and we decided we can't do this anymore and then the world shut down uh, and yeah. sort of gave us that gift but that was that was 10 years in you know yeah it doesn't have to be that long if we had no. that perspective and had these conversations in year three it yeah. could have been a totally different thing oh absolutely yeah i wish i had thought more about um sort of like the business ecosystem and and how it can feed itself and sustain itself. And that's something that I, I didn't think of until literally like this year where I'm like, I'm just going to actually draw it out, like draw like a map of a business ecosystem and all the little things that I have on the go and how they can all help and feed into each other. And I, I think even just getting clear on that and creating that has allowed me to be able to step back a little bit. And so that would be something that at some point would probably be useful to, to coach others on or, or help people. I'm sure you probably do a lot of that. I do a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize it was a thing. I just started drawing it out and I was like, Oh, like this, this can sell this and this can feed into this. And like, it all just works together like an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I, I came to it. <laughs> I didn't realize. Yeah. But you that would have been useful. Yeah. But I mean, there's also like the journey that you were on was the journey that you were on mm -hmm. and like you got to grow so many other things. One of the things that I, I, I really admire about the way that you work is like the the true like creative. Like you come up with these concepts for the for your shoots and you you really approach it as an artist. You know, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people out there where this is a job and it's not like they're still creating, but it's not like almost a performance. Whereas mm -hmm. When I, when I watch you speak and I watch you work and, you know, I think back to, um, I think it was this last time you spoke, you talked about this mermaid session that you did. And I'm just like that. Oh, <laughs> my brain doesn't even work in that way. I cannot even fathom it. But I think yeah. like that's such a beautiful thing that you do. How, how did you arrive to that? And then how do you reconcile that with something like a business ecosystem? Yeah. Oh, man, those are big questions. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So what you're referring to is 
It's a presentation that I have. I'm actually about to put it online too. So that's great timing, but it's called the art of the narrative. And essentially it, it talks about the process of creating narratives within our work. So rather than just going out and photographing a couple in a beautiful location, we build a story around it and we find the, the metaphor or the subtext within the story. And that came to be because of my love uh, and obsession with movies and television and stories in, in movie and television. And I have another course online called the Cinematic Storytelling Masterclass, which is all about how as wedding photographers, we can pull from examples in film from directors, how they're using story um, visually and metaphorically, and how we can use that in our work and tell better stories. And so the art of the narrative was, yeah, I was feeling burnt out because I was going out into these beautiful locations with beautiful people and then just feeling really bored because it's like, okay, I have my like 30 poses I'm going to cycle through. Then what? Like, what's, what's the point? What am I trying to say? Like, what is this? You know? And when you do more, like your, your 30 sunrise sessions, it's like, I, I imagine by the 30th one, you were like, Okay, I'm bored. Like I, you're yeah. just in autopilot, and you're just doing the same thing. Oh, you're probably going to the same locations, and you just kind of are like, "Oh God, this sucks." You know, you're just you're, and not that it sucks because I know that's a terrible thing to say because you're doing something for someone. But as an artist, it feels a bit soul sucking. You know, it loses its meaning. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You're just a ma- machine at this point, and so. I started looking at film and I realized that it was that subtext. It was that deeper meaning that I was really drawn to. So whenever I would watch movies with whoever my partner was at the time, I would be like, what do you think that movie was trying to say? Or I love it when I type in, okay, if I'm in Google and I'm about to type in uh, a movie just to see the trailer or, you know, see what it's all about. If I start typing the name and then the word explained comes right after. So if it's like whatever film name, like... Titanic <laughs> explained that wouldn't be a thing, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, if it's yeah. explained after I'm like, Ooh, there's going to be some subtext and some deep meaning here. Cool. Um, one recent one I watched was mother. Have you seen that with uh, Jennifer I'm Lawrence? I'm aware of it, but I haven't seen it. No, <laughs> it was wild. Oh my God. It was so wild. I, I immediately went to tree of life because that I remember watching that movie and just being like, what just happened? <laughs> Yeah. You know what? I haven't seen Tree of Life yet. I need to watch it. That's that's on my list. But yeah, there were just so many films where I would watch and I'd be like, whoa, like it's saying one thing, but it's showing something else. But there's like such a beautiful message underneath it. And so I wanted to create images that kind of had that, you know, or sessions that had that. And so I did it just out of a, a place of boredom more so than anything. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would. um it comes down to wonder and curiosity as well. I would find song lyrics and I'd be like, wow, these song lyrics, they're so meaningful. I was listening to um, Wild Horses the other day. I don't know if you are familiar oh, yeah. with the lyrics, but it's it's great. I read the history of it and Keith Richards actually began writing the song Wild Horses. It's a Rolling Stones song for those who don't know. But um, Keith Richards wrote the beginning of it and he was writing it about his child and you know having to leave his child and always be on the road and so it was that that was how the song was intended and how it started and then Mick Jagger took over and he was in this relationship at the time I can't remember who it was with 
I can't remember her name, but it was one of those relationships where you love each other so much, but you know, you can't be together and you know, it, it's not going to work. And so you feel this, this pull to the person, but you know, it can't, it can't last. It can't be. And so he took over and, and did the rest of the song based on that. And if you go through and you read those lyrics now, it's just like, you see it in a whole different way, but I just love that it's the song is not about horses. <laughs> that is not the song. It's it's about it's about everything I just spoke of, and so just getting curious about stuff like that because I think that is education in itself. It's like the more of that that you put into your brain, into your heart, the more you can then pull from that when you go to shoot different, you know, sessions. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. That's kind of how I roll. <laughs> I think it's I think it's absolutely fascinating. And and I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen the success that you have is because you, you and you can tell me where I'm wrong here. I'm making assumptions, but is because that you deeply care about the process, not just the output. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think so many um, creatives, business owners, entrepreneurs, we're always thinking about productivity. Right. Mm -hmm. Like what is what is the final output of this mm -hmm. where realistically it's in the process where the uniqueness and the love and the care and the attention comes from. And mm -hmm. right from the first time I met you, you always felt like a photographer, a creative who cared about the process. The journey was almost more important than than the destination. Yeah, and that's that's really nice of you to say. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's it's insightful even just to hear from you. Um I think you're you're probably right. Like I do really enjoy I, I like the discovery process of, you know, mm. even just birthing the ideas, so to speak, like having them kind of come, come to be. And I think it's why I've really enjoyed being on the yoga mat lately and having ideas just come to me. Like I've had shoot ideas come to me. They just kind of, it's like they sprinkle down from, from the ceiling and they just like land into my brain and I'm like, Ooh, that's a good idea. And I've been practicing concept of gratitude and actually thanking the my higher self or whoever it is that's sending these ideas, just thanking them. And yeah, again, it's it's quite weird and flighty, but it's been working and it feels really good. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, I mean, you're the wonderist. It seems like you're tapped <laughs> into wonder and curiosity. And I think that's such a powerful thing for especially for a creative but for anybody in life like being open to more things and exposing yourself to as much as possible just it just allows you so much more possibility yeah yeah <laughs> amazing okay last question i always ask everybody what what have i missed what we we talked about we've talked about art we've talked about taking up space um <laughs> chicago the two girls in the front room celebritizing yourself like all all of these things what have i missed in in the journey of jen what is what is mm -hmm. something that we haven't breached on that has shaped you got to you to where you are today oh man i feel like i need to take a pause and actually think about this oh my goodness have there been uh, mentors or books mm. or 
just a random happenstance meeting of a person on the street hmm. or anything. Yeah. Is- I mean, there was this there was this teacher that I had um, when I went to university and I was in an English class and I, I I wasn't an English major. I was a psych major, but I would sign up for all of these English classes because of this professor. And he actually ended up being the officiant of my last wedding. <laughs> um, the wedding that I had, um, not a wedding I photographed, but he was, he is such a special person. And I remember there was a moment when I was sitting in one of his lectures where it hit me that I wanted to be and embody everything that he was as a person. And I think I was around like 22 at the time when I, when I had this moment of realization, but he had this way of engaging the class. He was extremely vulnerable. He would just cry. He, he taught a lot of Shakespeare and he would go into these rants and these passionate, you know, conversations. And he'd just start crying about whatever thing he was talking about. And he just wore his entire heart and soul on the outside. And it was so beautiful. And he had this way of, he would ask the room questions and someone would answer. And the answer, like I'd be listening to someone's answer and I'd be like, no, that person's so off base. Like, what are they talking about? Like I was really judgmental at 22. And this professor, his name's Stephen Brown, he had this magical way of sort of reframing what the person said, making them sound like an absolute genius. He'd So he'd take that person's sentence and he'd say, Oh yes, you're right. What you so so what you're saying is blah 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 blah, and he would just kind of reword it in a way that was just like so profound that every single person in the room, anytime he asked a question, everyone would have their hands up, ready to answer and engage with his lectures, and it was just like it was pure magic. Like that was that was a huge. I have goosebumps. I don't know if you can see that man changed the the course of my life at that age uh, in the sense that I wanted other people to feel that way when they were in conversation with me. I never wanted someone to feel silly for saying something. I wanted people to feel like they could just be open and share. I wanted to be open. I, at that point, realized that it was okay to cry in the middle of a conversation. It was okay. It was okay to show the goosebumps on your arms to people, like just being vulnerable and open and how that can then open up others. I think that was a huge, huge lesson for me. That's amazing. How do you use that in your in your life? Oh my goodness. I mean, in my personal life, it's it's been great with relationships and with opening up others and connecting on on a much deeper level than I probably would have ever felt otherwise. But and, and you know, having children, teaching kids to open up and connect and just be authentic and be vulnerable. That's, that's been amazing. But with clients, I think it's been, it's been amazing. I mean, especially one-on-one clients and specifically when I've been working with women, you know, doing more like boudoir type sessions or just solo intimate sessions. I think it is a bit of a, a superpower. I think if you can open up and be vulnerable, other people open up. And I think that that creates better art. You know, if you can create a sense of comfort and ease and create almost this invisible container that the two of you are in together, that they can just be themselves. It's like, that's magic. It's, it's amazing. And why wouldn't we want to do that? Even aside from art, it's like, 
I want to feel like the inside of your soul, you know, like I don't want to just touch your shell. I want like all of it. I don't want to connect because that's what's the point otherwise, you know? So that, that would be it. That's amazing. I feel like that's such like, I don't know if you're a a TV watcher, uh, other than Angel and Buffy, but, uh, (laughs) you know, in Ted Lasso, there's that, the Walt Whitman quote, be curious, not judgmental. I feel like that's an actual embodiment of living in that way Mm -hmm. where you're just like, you're so engaged and somebody gives an answer that, you know, on the surface may or may not be wrong, but like seeing the wonder and seeing like, I see how you got there and that's so beautiful and let's Mm -hmm. unpack that and and go deeper. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. If people want to find you out there and I guarantee you after this conversation, they will, uh, (laughs) where can they find you? Where can they engage with you? Where are you online? I mean, you're a million places, gather home goods and Jennifer Mower and <laughs> everything. So where, where can they find yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, Instagram is the most obvious place that comes to mind. So it's just my name, Jennifer Moher. It's mother without the T, Moher. <laughs> so that's where I am. Um, yeah, I have my podcast, The Wonderist. It's The Wonderist podcast on Instagram. And where my friend Jill and I are starting a retreat in Ontario. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so good. Like I'm, I'm just so excited to be in it and actually experience all the parts of it. We have a sound bath healing. We have yoga, meditation, a tea ceremony, cold plunging, photography, education, styled shoots. Like it's just it's blowing my mind. Like as we keep building it, I'm like, this is what I need. <laughs> like I'm excited. <laughs> so yeah, that'll be coming soon. And yeah, that's, that's it. Thank you so much. This is, I'm so honored to, to have had this conversation with you. This has been awesome. Yeah, This has been great. I knew, I knew it was going to be good. You know, it's like, <laughs> you just, there's just people that, you know, are going to be so fun and interesting and open. So I just, I really appreciate you taking the time. Mm, thank you. Just before the end of the episode here, I wanted to talk about one little thing. Jen launched a totally new program just last week on uh, the art of Instagram. Uh, It's called Curated, and I have listened to the first module so far, not the whole course, just the first module, and I have to say it is pretty damn brilliant. I myself am someone who never really understood Instagram. I always found that a very complex and confusing process. Um, And as such, haven't spent a lot of time on my social media doing that, but I have always sent people to Jen's profile as an example of exemplary use of the platform. So if you are someone like me and you are struggling to figure out how to use Instagram effectively for your creative business. I am going to link to her program in the show notes. It is absolutely worth it. Even just for the, you know, first of four modules that I've listened to, I've already taken like three pages of notes and am going to be applying them to my own photography business. So if you are looking for some help on Instagram, I could not recommend a better teacher than Jen to go and learn from. So take a look for that in the show notes. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to me or follow Jen on her Instagram and ask her, which is also in the show notes. 
And as always, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you being part of this journey with me and more episodes to follow. I've been recording two to three episodes a week, so this is going to keep coming out week after week. Uh, Sorry for missing last week. Uh, Life got ahead of me, but I am back. I'm excited to have you here and uh, stay curious.